0: Good morning. Excellent. Great. Um, lovely to join you uh, at Stains Kong this morning. Uh, as Ian said at the beginning, I am, I'm, I'm here in person, live. So um, I'm with you next week as well. I don't know whether I'll be live or not then. But uh, anyway, it's great and a joy to uh, join you uh, this morning. Uh, we're doing Ephesians, and uh, I'm going to read the next bit, which is chapter 4, verse 17. 24. So I think, Ian, if you're going to put it up, then uh, get your Bibles and uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Okay. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him Uh, let me pray, and then we'll dig in. Dear Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Please uh, use uh, me this morning, speaking to each and every one of our lives, that uh, what is of me would be quickly forgotten, and what is of you would uh, take root and bear fruit in each and every one of us, Lord, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Right. um, One summer, uh, when I was at university, I had two jobs. Uh, By day, I worked as a landscape gardener. So I dress up in the morning in my T-shirt, shorts, steel toe cap boots and so on. Then in the evening, uh, I worked at a fairly posh pub where... uh, friends of our family, they owned it. And I'd have to wear a collared shirt, a tie, uh, smart trousers, smart shoes, and so on. Now, I wonder how my landscaping uh, colleagues would have felt if I turned up to work one morning in my collared shirt, my tie, my smart trousers and shoes. They'd have probably made some rude, sarcastic remarks. But equally, how would the owner of the pub have have uh, reacted if I turned up in my sort of sweaty muddy t-shirt shorts and steel toe cap boots he he wouldn't have been very amused and I'd have probably lost my job fairly quickly you see you uh, different jobs require different clothes you have to dress appropriately now what is true in the world of work is also true when it comes to spiritual matters you see when a person becomes a follower of Christ uh, in their life they're that life is to be marked by very different qualities than were evident before they came to faith in Christ. So maybe a person's life before Christ was marked by uh, perhaps doing drugs, getting drunk a lot, sleeping around, not great language, that sort of stuff. That's what the life before Christ was like. like. Then the life after coming to faith in Christ must be marked by very different traits than those. So when someone who professes faith in Christ behaves more like they used to live before Christ, then it's as inappropriate, if you like, as me turning up to the pub to work in my sweaty shirt, muddy gear, and steel toe cap boots. So what we're going to think about this morning is very simple. It's living in a way that is consistent with my new life in Christ living in a way that's consistent with my new life in Christ now the big theme you're probably aware already we're well into Ephesians is how God is uniting all things everything in heaven and earth under Jesus Christ and the evidence of what it looks like today in the world to live under the headship of Christ is in fact the church and this is the first part as all the self is really what does this look like practically what does it look like to live under the headship of Christ say in our marriages in our work in our parenting in, in in how we relate to one another as Christians now our passage this morning sets out sort of if you like some basic principles if I can just um put a little uh, slide up that explains it So this morning we're looking at um, firstly what our old life in like uh, was like. That's verses seventeen to nineteen, and then uh, knowing Christ, uh, the change that Christ brought about, and then looking at our new life in Christ. So that's the uh, that's the the way we're going uh, today. So the first part of it Paul says doesn't he he begins with these strong words so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord now Paul is an apostle of Christ and he speaks therefore with the authority of Christ what he's about to say to the Ephesians and indeed to us is not a suggestion or an idea or a recommendation but it is, in fact, a command. It's a command to the believers in Christ, in Ephesus, that they must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. No longer clearly implies that this is how the readers did once live. Now, when um, my wife and I bought our first house in, um, in Ealing back in 19. Uh, 19- Eighty-nine. This is what it looked like. Okay, you see three, uh, three pictures there. The first is uh, of the, uh, what's it of, that's of the bathroom. Uh, The middle one is uh, that monstrosity was in the uh, the breakfast room, if you like, and then the right hand was the kitchen. Now, it it hadn't been decorated since the 50s. You're probably thinking the 1850s, but it's probably the, the 1950s. It It was absolutely grim. Now, we didn't look at those pictures uh, with any sense of love and affection. What these pictures were for us, and they're in an album, you know, before and after pictures, they're in the album to remind us just how grim the house was when we bought it. Now, in a similar way, what Paul's about to do is to remind the believers in Ephesus and us what the Gentile life is like, what the life before Christ is really like, just how awful it is. So not only does he say that their thinking's futile, but they, he says they have no spiritual understanding. They're alienated from God because of the ignorance due to their hard hearts. They're utterly closed to the things of God and blind to their true spiritual condition. And futile thinking always leads to futile living. As verse 19 says, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now, he's not describing, if you like, everybody in this regard but he's describing what the general tra- trajectory is of a life without christ uh, the life of an unbeliever who is hardened towards god and hardened towards the gospel now just as drinking seawater doesn't quench our thirst but simply makes us thirstier so the unbeliever is desperate for satisfaction meaning and fulfillment in life and whatever they turn to it doesn't satisfy them, but simply leaves them with a thirst for more. And this, this hopeless condition, if you like, is what Paul described in chapter two, where uh, similar exercise, he says, uh, they were once dead in their sins, captive to the ways of the world and the wiles of Satan, enslaved to their sinful nature and objects of God's wrath. Now, this is not a condition that we can do anything about ourselves. It's like being in a dark prison cell um, with a locked door and no way of escaping. Now, just as our photos are very grim reminders of what our house was once like. So Paul reminds these Christians in Ephesus and he reminds us this morning just how awful spiritually the life of pre-Christ really was. Futile thinking, spiritual blindness, hostility to God. And hard hearts. There's a desperate craving for meaning and purpose, and a continual desire, but it's never satisfied. That is why how they're not to live any longer. Okay, don't live, don't desire this any longer. So that's the old life, if you like. But secondly, he then says about the new life of knowing Christ. Look at verses 20 and 21. Their lives have changed, and it's all because of Jesus. Let me read again, verse 20 and 21. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Now, when uh, we go to school, when we were at school, uh, we had different teachers, didn't we, and different subjects all of which sort of contribute to uh, making our school experience either very good or maybe not so good. And we we perhaps remember certain teachers at school with great fondness who made the subject interesting. And uh, we remember other teachers as a bit of a pain and their subject was really not very interesting at all. Now, what's happened with these Ephesians is they have gone to school, albeit it's a rather different school than we went to. Firstly, what is the subject in their school? Where the subject, it's Christ. He's the one we're told they've come to know. Not know about in some sort of detached way, but they have come to know him personally. Secondly, who is the teacher? Well, it's Christ as well. In the original, there's no proposition. It simply reads, you heard him. He's the one they've listened to. It's it's his voice that they've heard. And what is the school? Well, it's Christ as well. You were taught in him. He's the context, if you like, for everything. And to replace the futility of their thinking as unbelievers, they've encountered the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. His name is Jesus. He's embodied the, the embodiment of that truth. He's the light that shines in the darkness, isn't he? He's the peace that deals with our alienation from God. He's the one who changes human hearts by the power of his spirit. You see, Jesus is the only means by which any of us can get out of that dark prison cell with a locked door. He's the rescuer that every one of us needs. He took the punishment that our sin deserves by dying in our place on the cross. And having delivered us from that dark prison cell, we experience freedom, meaning and joy, replacing that desperate yearning for satisfaction that couldn't be fulfilled. Peter describes it like this memorable verses, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, if you're watching this morning and you would describe yourself as not yet a Christian, not a believer, then whether you're seven or you're 70, you need to go to school. You need to go to Christ's school. You need to come to know him, not just know about him. You need to listen to him as he reveals himself, as he walks off the pages of Scripture. You need to place your trust in him. He's the saviour you need and the only one who can set you free. So Paul's described the old life. Uh, It's grim. It's horrible. It's just like those pictures of our old house. He said, what has to happen? We must encounter Christ. We must know Christ. Now, in the last verses, he then describes the the new life. The new life. Now, um, some of you at school... Uh, Will, I've got a flip chart by me. I don't do this very often, but I think it's helpful this morning. Um, I don't. Do you remember Venn diagrams at school? You all remember Venn diagrams. Well, wouldn't it be great if, if this circle, if this circle represented our old life, this represented our new life in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if that was the reality, that there was really no no connection? This is how we once lived. Now, this is how we live now. No connection whatsoever. But sadly, that's not the reality. The reality is much more like this. This is the old life. This is the new life in Christ. And where we live is here. Here which you may remember, was called the intersection. That's where the old life and the new life, if you like, are still existing. And it's a place of conflict. It's a place of conflict. Now, to see what this new life looks like, I'm going to come back to this in a few moments. Um, Let's look at these last three verses, because here, Paul really speaks about what we're to do as a mark of our life in Christ okay three things he says we're to put off some things we're to be renewed and we're to put on other things okay so firstly what are we to put off verse 22 you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. The old self is like me wearing my dirty landscaping clothes to work in the posh pub. Uh, they were totally inappropriate and belong to another domain. See, what belonged to my old life has no place at all in my new life. And up to underline this, Paul described the old life as being corrupted by deceitful desires. You see, this is the thing about sin. sin promises much sin is always attractive but it fails to deliver it's deceitful in that regard now from verse 25 chapter 4 verse 25 all the way through to chapter 5 verse 21 you're going to hear three messages on that section Paul's giving concrete examples of all the sorts of things that we're to put off and to put on so just look at verse 25 for instance which is where I'll Uh, begin next week he says there therefore each of you must put off falsehood those are the traits the characteristics of our old life before christ those are things we're to put off so lying deceiving flattery exaggeration all of that sort of stuff that stock in trade of how we once might have lived they have no place in the new life in christ now How can they be, if you like, those sorts of things, which are untruths when we're joined, if you like, by faith to the one who's the very embodiment of truth? So the first thing Paul says is you put off some things. So you put off. Secondly, we're to be renewed. Look at verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now to be made new is not a one-off event, uh, but is a continuous lifetime process. This renewal of our minds replaces the futility of our thinking as unbelievers. Paul memorably puts it, doesn't he, to the Romans in chapter 12. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Just as futile thinking characterised our old life, so transformed thinking is how we now live as those who belong to Christ. Rather than living to please ourselves, we now want to please God. And this renewed thinking doesn't happen by osmosis, but rather through God's word acting upon us and his spirit acting within us. So we put off, our minds get renewed, and then thirdly, we put on. We put on, Clothes, if you like, that are appropriate to our new life in Christ. What does he say? And put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self is wearing appropriate clothes that go with the domain. I'm a new creation in Christ. And that means my life will be characterized by different qualities. So take verse 25 again. We put off uh, falsehood. And and what do we put on? Well, we speak truthfully to our neighbour. For we're all we're all members of one body. So the old clothes falsehood, the new clothes speaking truthfully, especially to each other as the body of Christ. For we're members of one body. That's now that's not always easy, is it? Speaking the truth. It must always be done. In love but that is the way that the body of Christ is built up and uh, how we serve each other now we're going to look at the, the next section over the next three weeks but it's really uh fleshing out what does it look like to put off to be renewed and to put on so the Christian life is really about living in this zone here this intersection it's a conflict zone okay between the old life and the new life and I'm going to end uh, with a a little story about how that kind of I suppose the penny dropped for me as a new Christian about the conflict now that I felt as a Christian Um, when I worked in the city I had a life before um, working for the church I was a stockbroker up in the city of London for many years and uh, as part of the job there was always quite a lot of client entertaining, which is shorthand for people who used to drink a lot. Now, before I became a Christian, that really didn't bother me at all. But after I came to Faith in Christ, I began to see the problems it caused and uh, the, the poor witness that it was. Well, one day I was involved in a client event at the uh, at the races. I'm not a particular race fan, but you kind of have to take it for the team and do stuff you don't always want to do. So I had to go to the races with these clients and uh, I'd shared this with a Christian friend. As I said, I'm a bit concerned about going. I know there'll be a lot of drink and so on and so forth. Well, he prayed for strength for me, uh, that I'd uh, resist the urge to kind of get fully involved and drink too much uh, and uh, be a good witness. So I really appreciated his prayers. Anyway, sadly, the reality was I succumbed when I was at the races with these clients. Uh, I drank too much. Nothing crazy happened. But I was devastated afterwards. I thought, well, I've, I've let God down. Uh, I've let my Christian friend down. I've let myself down. And I just went back to see him a couple of days later. I was I was I was kind of heartbroken. I, I was thinking, you know, I feel terrible. I shared my experience with him. He heard me. Uh, he reminded me that Christ had forgiven me. Uh, He prayed for me and off I went feeling a whole lot better. Now, living in the intersection, living in the intersection means conflict. In my story, the old life that day had resurfaced, as it always can if we're not careful. And the old life had won the skirmish that day at the races. But what my friend reminded me of was that Christ had won the war. I briefly crept back into the dark prison cell of my old life, succumbed to the deceitful desires, felt ashamed, which itself is a mark of the spirit at work, because I wouldn't have felt ashamed as a non-Christian by getting drunk. And um, my friend helped me to help to point me back to Christ and the new life that was mine in him. And what a joy it was to do that. So the Christian life is living in such a way that is consistent with our new life in Christ. It means putting off what belongs to the old life. It means a continual renewing of our minds and a putting on of what belongs to our new life in Christ. And when we fail, as we will, It's not listening to the lies of Satan who will condemn us, but rather look again to the Saviour who has forgiven us. John writes, doesn't he, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know, maybe this morning there's one or two listening in who, I don't know, perhaps you've crept back into some of the things that characterised your life before Christ. Some of the traits that, that, that you how you once lived, maybe you needed to hear this this morning. maybe you're feeling a bit ashamed about it. well come back to Christ this morning, come back to the cross, know the reality of his victory, his forgiveness, and the joy of knowing him and the satisfaction of life in him. Put on, and put on. Let me pray and then I think we're going to sing. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, thank you that from before time began you set your affection upon us. Thank you that in your Son you have redeemed us for all eternity. Thank you that through your Spirit you've empowered us to live as followers of Christ in this world. Forgive us for all those times when we do go back to our old life. We forget who we are in you. Help us to feed upon your truth to be obedient to your spirit, and may our lives, I pray, bear ever greater likeness to Jesus. May we put away falsehood and speak truthfully to one another, and in so doing we'll bring you glory. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our um, our final hymn this morning is is a great one. It's Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and uh, uh, the reason I... uh, shows it is because of the uh, the verse that says this prone to wonder lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love here's my heart oh take and seal it seal it for my courts above amen